Today is the fourth Sunday of Advent, which represents the Sunday of love. And we're going to open our Bibles in just a minute uh, to Psalm 103. So if you want to actually go ahead and grab your Bible, we'll read it here in just a moment. Uh, But I wanted to um, kind of re-up, if you will, all of the things that we have um, seen so far. Uh, regarding um, uh, regarding Advent. If you've never been a part of a church that celebrates Advent before, um, we as a church family interrupt ourselves intentionally during this time of year to focus on the four themes of Advent. And we cue ourselves visually uh, by lighting these candles. The first candle is the candle of hope. It's kind of wonky here, but nonetheless, we light it. Wonky or not. Um, and this, this cues us um, to remember that there is hope in the world, but it doesn't come from any promise of a politician or anybody else uh, for that matter. It comes from us, you and me, believing and putting our trust in Jesus, that we not only have hope for this life, but also um, for the life to come. And secondly, we light the candle of peace Uh, Because it is in Jesus that we find genuine peace. God desires for us um, to have a sense of wholeness about us. And in fact, when we come to him and put our trust in him, um, the the Bible says, we looked at this psalm, the Bible says he speaks peace over our lives. Some of you think if I showed up before God, he would say, or whatever. Um, Maybe he'd have to use the bleep button to, to describe me. Instead, what God says is that he is speaking peace over your life because of Jesus. Last week, we lit the candle of joy to remind ourselves that there is something greater than circumstantial happiness. Um, and, and that is joy, something that is resident deep down inside of us that sticks with us. And today we light the candle of love. Each of these um, weeks, we've been digging around in the book of Psalms with the kind of idea that the, the songs of the Old Testament um, called the, the book of Psalms and the songs that we sing um, during this time of year, they kind of correlate and these themes um, match up. So today we're going to talk about the wonders of his love. And I think from Psalm 103, we're going to see three things that are incredible and awe-inspiring and wondrous about the love of God. And so before we jump into that, let's take a moment and ask help, and then we'll, um, then we'll g- get going, okay? Let's pray. Um, Father, I am grateful uh, for the love that you have for us, and I pray that you would speak love over every person here, and that you would meet them in their uh, moment, whatever that is, be it dark, be it light, be it low or high, you would meet them in wherever they are. And God, I pray that at, at the very same time that your love would surround us, you would protect us, you would watch over us, care for us, sustain us in these moments. And now open up your word to us. Thank you for this psalm of David. And I pray, God, that it would be really rich as it unfolds. And I ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen and amen. So Psalm 103, if you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth. Feel free to go grab one. Uh, If you need to grab one, borrow it or keep it. It is our gift to you if you need it. Uh, You can also, if you're a user of the Bible app, you can open right now and find our live event and follow along with the scriptures and sermon notes. Psalm 103. Everybody ready? Here we go. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Just pause for a moment. Anybody ever have to talk themselves into something? 
You're in good company. King David did too. He had to kind of get his motor running, so to speak, spiritually. And, uh, and th- this is, bless the Lord, verse 2, bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits. So he's going to start fueling what he's saying. Verse 3, who forgives all your iniquity. Anybody up for that right there? Four sinners in here, the rest of you. I don't know about. Who forgives all your iniquity. Amen and amen. Who heals all your diseases. You up for that? Verse, th- uh, excuse me, verse four, who redeems your life from the pit. Anybody low? Um, who crowns, this is our, the place where we'll pause for a moment, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works justice, or excuse me, righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. So um, I want to just pause right there. The first wonder, I think, of God's love as it unfolds for us in Psalm 103, this, this love that God has for you and me, the wonder of it starts with this, that God honors us with his love. Did you see that in verse 4? He delivers, uh, he, he um, forgives all our sins, heals our diseases, redeems your life from the pit. Let's, let's just hold on a second, just because we don't want to run past that. Like if God jerked you up out of a hole and set you somewhere that wasn't a hole, everybody would be like, oh, thank you, God, for that. But that's not the only part of this story. That, that, there, there's more to come. See, he redeems your life from the pit, comma. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? So not only does he bring you up out of the hole, what else does he do? He sets, if you will, a crown upon you and and, and, uh, um, gives you that by his love. He gives you a kind of dignity, a kind of significance, a kind of value by crowning you. And what I love about this is that he refuses, God refuses to go halfway. He doesn't just pull you up out of the pit. But he is making royalty. That's what he's doing. He's not just rescuing people. He's making royalty. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He's quoting the Old Testament, but he says it this way. Um, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood and a holy nation to declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So all of this witness stuff that we do, all of the stories that we tell about who God is and what he's done in our life, all of that flows from what God has done and who he has made us to be, who he has made us, who has he made us to be? A people chosen by God, a royal nation, a royal priesthood and a holy nation. He doesn't go halfway. He's not just about pulling, pulling you out of the hole. He's making royalty. He's not just redeeming you. He's, he's making royalty. He refuses to go halfway. How, how though, how do we measure this, this amount of dignity and honor and significance and value that he gives us? How do you measure that? Well, you measure the honor by the sacrifice that was made to bring the honor to pass. So in the Old Testament, God would clear out People. He would like clear out entire cities, entire nations even, um, for the people of God um, in order to go through. So, I mean, significant uh, sacrifice was made uh, for the people of God. Isaiah describes it this way. Just listen. This is Isaiah 43. Um, for I am the Lord your God. Let me back up because this is just so good. Verse 1. But now, Isaiah 43, 1. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, excuse me, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. 
When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. That sounds a lot like who redeems your life from the pit to me. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. This is Isaiah 43, 4. Don't miss this. Just listen. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you, I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. See, in the Old Testament, the way that they measured the honor that was given to them by God, the way that David would say, hey, you've crowned me with steadfast love and mercy. How do you measure that amount of honor? You measure that amount of honor by the amount of the sacrifice made, and God was willing to clear entire nations out for the people of God in order to do that. So the question this week, I mean, like, anybody, anybody been crowned this week, royalty, anybody? Yeah, you have. Yes, you have. By the God of the universe. He, he crowns you, present tense, with steadfast love and mercy. He is honoring you. Now, sometimes that honor looks like um, clearing entire nations out of the way. Everybody's up for that, right? When God just makes a way for you and like the path is really uncertain and then God just clears the way and everybody's good for that, right? Everybody loves it when that happens. Y'all are, you need some sugar? We need to get some Pass the eggnog, something here. Okay, everybody's up for that when God makes a way. But here's the thing. Sometimes the honor that God bestows upon us and the way that he crowns us with steadfast love and mercy looks very different. Uh, my friend Brad sent me this picture and I have just been living with it for the past couple of weeks. It's this portrait right here by Gary Milkers. This is, this is Joseph. I don't know if you can see it or not as clearly as I was hoping, but that's, that's Joseph looking like every new dad I've ever seen. Oh my gosh, what has just happened here? <laughs> you see him? Like he's got that look. There's Mary slouched over and passed out like, I just produced a human. Y'all stay out of the way, okay? <laughs> Don't come in here right now. Just leave me alone. I need five minutes, people. And then there's Jesus glowing. Because apparently that's what Jesus does. He glows. I love that picture. This is before the shepherds arrive. This is before things go crazy with the Magi. Angels are still going, I can't believe this just went down the way that it did. I love this picture because, you know, one of the things that's true about this moment right here, this is the fulfillment of what God said to Mary and how she, excuse me, how he was going to honor her. What? Yes, what? This is Luke chapter one, and just listen to how the angel spoke with her and the language that he used to describe this. Luke chapter one, verse 28. The angel came to her and said, greetings, O favored one. Okay, all right. The Lord is with you, okay? But she was greatly troubled at the saying, no kidding, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. He crowns you with steadfast love 
and mercy. Verse 31, and behold, you will conceive and in your womb shall bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, be the son of the most high. The Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob um, forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. And Mary said, excuse me, Mr. Angel person, like, uh, thank you for the honor. I am very honored by this, uh, but I know the mechanics of this. How will this be since I am a virgin? Verse 35, the angels answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of God, the Most High will overshadow you, overshadow you. Therefore, the uh, child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. He says, Elizabeth, your, your relative has already uh, been pregnant. It's going to be amazing. Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So sometimes honor looks like God clearing the way and everybody's down with that. Sometimes honor looks like an angel showing up saying, hey, by the way, your Christmas just changed. I just want you to know that. And either way, either way, whether the honor is, again, a path cleared or whether the honor is a path that is completely unknown, but you get to walk it with him, it's still, he still crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. And in case, uh, and there are certainly some, and rightly so, who would get a little concerned about this idea of God crowning us and honoring us in this way. And they say, well, you know, I thought the relationship was supposed to work different. Like I was supposed to give him the honor. Here's the beautiful part about this. Yeah, the, the honor that he bestows upon us ends up in us honoring him. So the honor he gives to us goes right back to him. We have this amazing picture in Revelation 4. All, in fact, my Bible reading right now is almost exclusively there in Revelation. So all of, the, all of these worship pictures in Revelation are the same over and over. The language is they fell down in worship. They fell down in worship. They fell down in worship. And indeed, in Revelation 4, we have these guys who are falling down in worship before their God, this, this vision that John sees. And what are they doing with their crowns? Does anybody remember? They're casting their crowns at the feet of Jesus. So his honoring us with a crown ends up uh, with us honoring him. What does that look like on this earth? Maybe something like this. Anybody have a gift that they've ever been given that every time you use it or, or see it or walk by it or whatever, it reminds you not only of the moment that you received it and the person who gave it, but kind of prompts you to be grateful for them. Anybody have that gift in their house? Um, I have one of many. This is um, a cross, a crystal cross that was given to me almost 20 years ago by my friend Barney. And um, every, it's on a shelf in our house and every time I walk by, I think about how grateful I am for his friendship. He was a mentor to me, um, just loved me well, kind of as a dad figure. Um, and, and when we left and he gave this to me, blessed me with this. And so every time I walk by, I, I think about him. I think about those moments. I pray for him and his family. Like I give honor to him because of the way that he honored me. Does that make sense to everybody? And in the same way, so God has bestowed his love as a crown. If you will, he crowns you with steadfast love. And what do we give God back? That same love. That's what we give God back. So our, the way that he honors us ends up with us honoring him. And so what is it what it, where does it come down? What, where it comes down, I think, is um, when you have that moment. You see it in Revelation 4 when the elders cast their crowns. You see it in Psalm 103. You see it other places. When you have that moment where God honors you with this kind of love and mercy, it's an invitation to come closer. It's an invitation to intimacy. Don't miss this, verse 6 and 7. The Lord works righteousness 
and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. Can I ask a question? You just do a little heart check here. Which would be more preferable for you? To know God's acts or his ways? Which would be, which would be more desirable? To know the acts of God or to know the ways of God? See, he made known his acts to the entire people of Israel. Split a sea, no problem, we got that. Manna from heaven, eh, that's not a deal. We got that covered, no problem. But his ways, his ways he made known to Moses. This, this is an invitation to intimacy. It's a, an invitation, this kind of honor that he bestows upon us and that we return to him. It's an invitation to say, hey, I'm not just going to watch from afar, God. You do some stuff that's going to be pretty awesome. I want to be intimately connected with you and know your ways and know your ways. I know you're working justice. I know you're working righteousness. I know you're at work, but I don't want to be looking at that from afar going, hey, good job over there, God. I want to know your ways. It's an invitation to intimacy. The second wonder of God's love, I think, continues to fall out, verse 8. So the first wonder is that God honors us, and secondly, um, that God forgives us. Look at verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. God's love forgives. And so that this, this particular text, I think, prompts a couple of questions in me. It goes something like this. Um, can a loving God really be angry? And what's the answer to that? Yes, he can. Why? Because, in fact, he describes him here. He describes him as slow to anger. He says he's not going to chide or keep his anger forever. But that means he does have it. Why is this an important thing? Because God sees sin for what it is. He sees sin and its destructive nature um, in the person who's sinning as well as those that they sin against, right? He sees the destruction that comes. Some of you are in here hoping for a different kind of Christmas because of the sin of somebody else that has impacted and affected your life. That's true. And God sees that and he doesn't go, oh, it's going to be okay, people. Let's just all hold hands and sing around a campfire and it's going to be all right. Anybody got a marshmallow or two? What is he? He gets fired up about this. Why? Because he looks at the brokenness of the world. He looks at the injustice in the world. He looks at the oppression in the world and he says, hey, that's not how this is supposed to work. This, this, this angers me. It frustrates me. It, it, this is not how it is supposed to be. And so not only does he see the kind of destruction that it brings into the world, but he also knows knows that every sin is also a dishonor to his name. He wants to bestow honor upon his people, and yet what do they do? They turn their back, and so it is dishonoring to him, not only destructive in the world, but dishonoring to him. Can a loving God really be angry? Yes, he can. That's what the Bible says. So the follow-up question goes something like this. Can an angry God really be loving? And what's the answer to that one? Yes, he can. So again, I just point you back to the text here. Verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious. 
slow to anger. Anybody good for that? Abounding in steadfast love. So abounding, not like trickling, not like misting, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions for us. Can an angry God really be loving? Yes, because his character is, his anger is just a moment, but his love is everlasting. And furthermore, yes, because um, this... There is forgiveness for you and for me. So verse 10, let's just walk through the text here for a minute. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Anybody on board for that right there? Otherwise, we'd all be ash heaps in our seats right now. That's what we deserve. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Why? Well, because... Verse 11, for, because as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. So just as high as the heavens are above the earth. Just imagine. Imagine all that Jesus left in glory to come here. As high as the heavens are above the earth. That is how great God's love is for you and for me. So if you walked in thinking, I'm unlovely, I'm unlovable, I've missed the mark, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love, his steadfast love toward us. Furthermore, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Now, people have pointed this out before, I'll just jump on the bandwagon here. There's a point where you and I could start walking north, and theoretically, if we could get all the way to the North Pole, eventually we would cross the North Pole and start heading south, right? I mean, that, that, that just makes good sense. Like, we would go so far as we would go to the north, as far as north as we could north, and then we would begin to head south. But if you and I started walking east, you know what we're never going to hit? The East Pole. We don't have one of those. And I think that's a beautiful thing that in this particular moment, David chose that kind of language. How far is the east from the west? Infinitely far. Well, that's how far God has removed our sins from us. Why? Because you're so forgivable? No. Because you came to church today? No. Because it's the end of the year and you're going to write a little check? No. Mm Mm-mm. Because you made some cookies, took it to your neighbor? No. He removed our sins as far as the east is from the west because there, Jesus, the one who left heaven and came to earth as high as the heavens are above the earth, there Jesus died on the cross as the perfect sacrifice. What kind of force would it take to displace something that great like our sins and remove it that far as far as the east is from the west? A force like the cross of Christ where he became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Where he bore our sins in his body on the tree so that you and I might experience forgiveness, healing, and life. That's what we're talking about here. That's what David is pointing to here. And his forgiveness unleashes for us 
His compassion, verse 13. As the father shows compassion to his children, as the, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And you know what that's an invitation to do? It's an invitation to repent. That's a good Bible word, but it goes something like this, that you are living for yourself. And then when you figure out, hey, this is not a good thing. The most natural inclination is to say, I don't want to bring this junk to God. Therefore, I'm going to go run away, try to get myself as clean as possible, and then hope he accepts me. I'm telling you, that's the absolute wrong play. The best play is to turn to God with all of your junk in tow and just go, here I am, God. This is what I'm bringing to the table. The only thing I'm offering you is the sin that makes this forgiveness necessary. And you know what happens? God says, as far as the east is from the west, because of Jesus, that's how far I've removed your sin from you. And nobody can bring it back. Not you, not Satan, not anybody else can bring it back. It is infinitely removed from you. It's an invitation to repent. And some of you come in here, again, just like the other. Some of you come in here dragging your sins around, thinking that the longer you hold on to them, the holier you will actually become. If I can beat myself up enough, then maybe, just maybe, I will be holy enough to be received by God. And I'm telling you, there is no amount of effort, self-mortification, um, um, or, or whatever it is that you're carrying around in your big bag. Listen to me. There's nothing that you can do to make yourself right with God. There's no amount of penance that you can pay. What you have to do is repent. Turn from your sins and turn to Jesus. And what you find is forgiveness. That's wondrous. That is a wonder of God's love. Not only has he honored us, but when we who dishonor him come to him, he forgives us. Last thing, last wonder, verse 14. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. We're just, he knows we're the bones of us. We're pretty frail. Verse 15, how frail? As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it's gone, and its place knows it no more. How frail are we? Life is pretty short, people, and we're pretty weak. How long does it take for us to get blown away? How long does it take for us to get moved on? How long does it take for... It's like a, a flower in the field. It's here today, gone tomorrow. It's like grass. Eh, it just dies. August eventually comes, and it's toast, man. It's gone. That's us. Verse 17. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to his children's children, to those who keep his covenant, to those children who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. This third wonder goes like this, that God's love sustains us. And some of you came in here walking frailly. I mean, you are a picture of frailty. You are the flower that's just about ready to get blown off, the grass that's just about ready to wither and die. He sustains us in our frailty. Remember this, that you and I, we are frail and our lives are short, but he is not and his love is not. How does the Bible describe his love? Verse 17, the steadfast love of the Lord is from, what's it say? Everlasting to everlasting. That means before you and after you. Like before you got here and after you're gone from here. Before you sprung up like a flower in the field and after you've long gone. 
His love is everlasting to everlasting. He sustains us in our frailty. You think his love is going to run out? It won't. You think his, you somehow are going to out his love? You will not. You think your age, for whatever reason, means that you will not be able to continue serving him in some capacity or be useful to him in some capacity? Like you, you need to be younger to be... No, no. This is not, from everlasting to everlasting, from the, the baby years to the old years. This is, this is God's love for you and for me. Do you think that somehow your straying has had an impact on the flow of God's love for you? It has not. It's from everlasting to everlasting. Uh, do you think he's done working in you or through you? No. His love is from everlasting to everlasting. Do you think that some circumstance has somehow diverted the love of God from you to somebody else or to some other situation? No, there's no circumstance that can do that. Look at verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over how much? All. All. He sustains us in our frailty. Some walk in here stumbling because of your mistakes. Some walk in here stumbling, frail, feeling frail because of the the weakness of others that you care for in your life. Parents, friends, coworkers, kids, neighbors, whatever. You're struggling and feeling frail because of their weakness. And David picks that up actually in his righteousness to his children's children. People who receive the sustaining love of God in their lives, guess what happens? There's an impact that can happen generationally. Um, uh, His righteousness to his children's children and to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. To those children who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. God extends, if you will, generationally this. So there's a generational impact can happen because this is a normal thing, right? You receive God's love and it just impacts those around it. David here talks about the kids, and then wh- where does this lead? Like, wh- what does this, where does this take us? This last part, verse 20. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones, don't miss this, who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers, who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So, He sustains us in our frailty that can have a generational impact. Doesn't necessarily mean that it will, but it can. And then this is the invitation. It is an invitation because some of you are carrying the weight of your own stuff or the weight of somebody else. It is an invitation to just keep walking. Who continue to do his word, who hear his voice and the, the voice of his word, who do his will. Those are the phrases there in the last couple of verses. What would that look like for you? to keep walking this week and to keep walking faithfully this week? What would it look like for you? What would change about your Christmas moment? If you heard God say, I'm going to sustain you in your frailty, so just keep walking. There's a brother of ours who um, has a sense of this, maybe more poignantly than you and me, for sure. Um, Wang Yi, does the name ring any bells? Uh, this brother of ours pastors a church, the Early Rain Church in China. 
He and about a hundred of his parishioners have been arrested and thrown into a Chinese jail. So um, he is celebrating Christmas and the coming of Jesus um, in a Chinese prison. And as he was getting arrested, the church kind of sensed that this was coming. And so he released this letter called My Faithful Disobedience. And this, I'll just read you a couple of sentences from it. On the basis of the teachings of the Bible and the mission of the gospel, I respect the authorities God has established in China. For God deposes kings and raises up kings. This is why I submit to the historical and institutional arrangements of God in China. As a pastor, my firm belief in the gospel, my teaching and my rebuking of all evil proceeds from Christ's command in the gospel and from the unfathomable love of that glorious king. Don't miss that. Where does it all come from? Where does it all draw from? Where does he find the the fuel to continue to be sustained? From the unfathomable love of that king, that glorious king. Every man's life is extremely short, and God fervently commands the church to lead and call any man to repentance who is willing to repent. Christ is eager and willing to forgive all who turn from their sins. This is the goal. I love that. This is the goal of all the efforts of the church in China to testify to the world about our Christ, to testify to the middle kingdom of China about the kingdom of heaven. To testify to earthly momentary lives about heavenly eternal life. This is the pastoral calling that I've received. He goes on to say, I'm not here to disrupt any political, don't, don't mistake what I'm saying for political gain or political things. He says, this is not a stance at all. This is me trying to be disruptive of the darkness and sin in the world. How is that cat right there going to celebrate Christmas and do the things that he's done? How is he going to do that? By being sustained by the love of God. By being sustained by the love of God. And some of you come here and better than average chance you're not going to end up in a Chinese prison this week. But you will have to walk through something. Good news. God's love. Wonder of wonders. God's love sustains you. Some of you come and your sins are so heavy. Good news. God's love forgives. Wonder of wonders. He doesn't treat us according to what we deserve when it comes to our sins. Some of you are like, man, I just don't, I just don't know I don't know. And here's the good news. God's love honors you. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. I'm going to pray for us and we'll have just a moment to respond here and then we'll be dismissed, okay? Would you bow with me? Uh, So, Father, I am very, very grateful in this moment for the love that you have for us, that protects us, that cares for us, that watches over us. And God, I know there's some folks in here right now who need your sustaining love. There's some folks in here who have wrestled with and dealt with their sin even this week. And they need to hear this word that you are a God who takes their sin and casts it as far as the east is from the west. There's some in here, God, who just need a word. They will have had already and will have this week so many words spoken over their lives about who they are and what they should have accomplished by now. And these words that tear down, God, would you speak this word of honor over them that you crown them with steadfast love and mercy. Wherever it lands for us, God, I pray that you, by your spirit, would be at work even now. 
Open up our ears to hear. Continue to minister to your people. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Let's stand together. We'll sing a song.